I'm excited because today we are starting a brand new series called Ghost Stories. We're going to be taking an unspooky introduction to the person, the purpose, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The person, the purpose, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to try to unravel in these uh, five weeks or so, unravel some of the mysteries uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit, some of the misconceptions, excuse me, of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say some, I mean some, because what we're talking about here is the Holy Spirit. There is some mystery to the Holy Spirit, and that is one of the beautiful things about him. So we, we're, we're not going to uh, uncover every single mystery about this third person of the Godhead. Let me ask you, has anybody here ever, is anybody here from like a place like, are you anybody here from Texas? Who's here from Texas? You're from Texas. Okay. Got some native Texans here. Anybody like me and like you went most of your life before you ever saw something like a mountain or snow or something like that? Anybody? Anybody? Y'all know what I'm talking about. That first time, do you remember that first time you saw mountains or snow or something like that? I remember being a kid, my dad took the family, he took us all to uh, New Mexico and upper New Mexico near the Colorado border up there to go skiing. And it was the first time, I'd never seen mountains before, because I'm, I'm from here, from Houston, just always lived here, you know, it's quite flat. I mean, just every little swell on the ground is kind of thrilling, you know? <laughs> you go over a high bridge, you're like, whoa, I'm so high, you know, I can see forever, oh, I'm king of the world. And, and so I, I can remember, like, going, being in the car, we drove up through, you know, the vast plains of Texas, and you go up through the north and all that kind of stuff, and you get into New Mexico, and it's a beautiful country there, and then all of a sudden you see it. You see rising on the horizon like clouds, the first mountain starting to come into view, right? I can remember just that feeling like, what in the world? What is that? You know, and, 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 we, and driving up, and we finally get there, you know, because you see it forever, and it feels like it's never going to get there, and you finally get there, and starting to drive up a mountain for this Houston boy was just like the most thrilling thing ever. And, and then it's winter, you know, because we're there to go skiing. And first time we'd ever been doing that too. So what am I seeing? I'm seeing snow. I'm seeing mountains and snow for the first time ever. Absolutely, it's just blowing me away. I'm just glued to the windows. Dad's driving down this kind of curvy highway up this mountain. I just like, this is the most beautiful. This must be the most majestic sight that anybody on earth has ever seen. I remember being on that for a long time. I don't remember exactly how long. And then I remember finally, you come around a curve and you come around, you start to come around the other side of the mountain. And what did I see but another mountain and another one? And I realized as far as the horizon stretched, was the Rocky Mountains, right? It's the be- and you realize you're just at the beginning. You're just kind of at the foothills. And I, th- I thought I was on the highest mountain in the world. You know, I thought this must be like Everest. And there's the Rocky Mountains, right? Going on as far as you can see. I think a lot, that is a lot like what exploring and learning about the wonders and the beauty of the Holy Spirit must be like. Because you, you, everything you see is just the most fantastic thing. It's the most beautiful thing, the wondrous thing. And you think, oh, this is it. I got it. I know it all, right? 
And then you look and you realize, oh no, it's just lots more mountains as far as the eye can see. And it's a beautiful thing and every single thing is a discovery and it's a lifelong relationship that you have with him. But it's a beautiful thing. So, so this series is going to be a little different. I want to kind of set it up for what it is. Uh, this isn't going to be like a PhD level course in systematic theology, Okay. So if you're kind of hoping for that, you'll be disappointed a little bit. Um, here's the thing. At our church, we're very blessed. We have lots of really good teachers, and we've had some great series in here on uh, the things of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, all sorts of things about that. And uh, if you look on our podcast or if you go to our website and look back down through the months, through the years, we have some great teachings uh, by Joy White, the sergeants, Cheryl Paddington, and uh, Pastor Albert has taught some uh, amazing things on that. So I encourage you to go back. So we're going to try not to, I, I don't want to just uh, uh, re- reinvent the wheel, reteach the wheel. I don't know. Uh, so, so, you know, if the Holy Spirit is like, the Rocky Mountains. We're, we're not going to be like geologists and discover, you know, go uncover every nook and cranny of, of the mountains. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're, we're getting in the car, right? We're going to take a family trip. We're getting in the car. We're going to the mountains. And we're going to park the car. We're going to get out. And we're going to put on our backpack. And we're going to f- discover what it's like to be immersed and surrounded by the Holy Spirit and discover his wonders and his majesty for ourselves, okay? We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is someone, it's as important because the Holy Spirit is someone who is so misunderstood in the church today. He's so misunderstood. And the thing is, he's an important part of our heritage here at Generations Church. We are what's known as a spirit-filled church. And so over the coming weeks, we'll kind of talk about what, what does that mean that we, we call ourselves spirit-filled. Um, and so let me ask you, when, when, when I felt this drawing to preach on the Holy Spirit, we needed to share on the Holy Spirit, because we have a lot of new folks uh, over the past year, and like I said, it's an important part of our heritage. Who do you think I went to for guidance about how to teach on the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, exactly. You better believe it, man. When, when I felt that, I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you to t- teach me how to teach about you, right? Show me, guide me, because I want to represent you well. We want to represent the Holy Spirit well. And how do you want it done? And what's the kind of thing you want done? And, you know, I, I, so anyway, so, so it was a beautiful thing. We, we asked the Holy Spirit to empower us and to lead us, even when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And he's faithful to do so. In fact, let's, let's stop right here and let's just pray. Because we want to pray for his guidance and his, we have his presence, but we want his guidance and him to be in our hearts. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, that he rose from the dead, Father God, to save us. And I thank you, Lord God, that after that, when he left, he left us a comforter, Lord God. He left us, and he said it would be, it's even better that he leave this new person, and that is the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place, Father. We thank you that you are here. We thank you for ministering to us, to open our hearts, Lord God, whatever preconceptions we have, we just ask you, Lord, to, 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 to help us set those aside and to hear straight from you. Not even my words, Lord God. We want to hear your words. We thank you for that. We thank you for your presence, for your power. We thank you for your sweetness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so like I said, not systematic theology here. So my greatest goal in this series is not for you to walk away 
from this having memorized like every single little aspect of doctrine as it relates to pneumatology, which is what churchy people call the study of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. Um, So that's not really what it's about. You know what I want more than anything on earth? It's for you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit, but I have a relationship with him, right? I don't understand everything about my wife, but I have a great relationship with her. And it's like more awesome every day, and I discover more of what I don't know about her every day. And she's just a wonderful mystery to me, but it's a wonderful thing. I don't have to know everything about her to have a relationship with her. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to know everything about him because you can't. He's God. He's the Spirit of God, right? So, uh, but, but we want a relationship. Now, along the way of this series also, we will talk about some of the distinctives of our church. What makes our church, what makes generations, generations? How, do, how is it that we interact and flow with the Holy Spirit? Some of the things you might have uh, witnessed on Sunday mornings, um, some of the gifts of the Spirit, we'll experience uh, that and how He empowers our lives and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, okay. How many of you, maybe this is probably mostly my fellow Gen Xers out there, if you were a kid in the 70s and 80s, how many of you remember some, spending some of your Saturday mornings with a, a little cartoon character named Casper? <laughs> Anybody remember Casper? Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yes, Casper the Friendly Ghost. I don't, I'm trying to think, but I don't think I was really allowed to watch Casper because he was a ghost, but I, I think I did over at some friend's house or something. Um, sorry about that, Mom. But what are you going to do with me? Uh, so Casper, and everybody, know, everybody knows it was kind of a one-trick pony, this cartoon. Every episode was kind of the same. Casper comes along to a group of kids who were playing or like guys working on the railroad or something. And what does Casper want to do? He wants to play, right? He's like, he wants, because he is a friendly ghost, right? He wants to play. And what does everybody do when they see him? It's a ghost, right? They get all scared and and they run. And this was every episode. You knew exactly what was going to happen. Casper was going to show up and everybody was going to get scared and run away. Now, the thing is, I, unfortunately, this is kind of like the picture of the way some of the modern church treats the Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Ghost is this beautiful, powerful spirit of peace and wisdom, right? He's flowing and he comes, he shows up. He's like, guys, I'm arrived. And we're all like, it's a ghost, right? And, and we run and we shut the doors. No, we don't want the Holy Ghost. This is like the picture of the, of the modern church. A lot of this is due, I think, because of um, we see, we've seen people do things that were weird. How many of you ever Anybody's ever seen anything? And you're, you're thinking to yourself, I don't think that was God. I think that was just weird. Anybody? We can admit it. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. Um, now, a lot of that is just due to the fact that those were weird people. Okay? We blame the Holy Spirit. A lot of times it's just the weird, weird people. Uh, I heard uh, Robert Morris uh, he quoted a, a study done that uh, one in three people are weird. It turns out. One in three. And you can tell this by looking to your left. Look to your left right now. And then look to your right. If neither of them are weird, then you're the one. So there are weird people. And some of us are, are just weird. That's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Uh, we're just strange people. Um, but the truth is, you can actually be a normal, 
respectable. You can have a respectable job, a normal, be a normal person, be able to carry on a perfectly sensible conversation with people and talk about intelligent things in the world and still believe in the person and the power and be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have to worry that you're going to like haul off and slap him and you couldn't help it or something, right? Or you're going to grab him and start speaking in tongues and you won't be able to stop yourself. You, that actually doesn't, doesn't happen with the Holy Spirit, right? You can be a normal person and not be weird, and still be filled with the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The first thing to understand that I want to make the point is that the Holy Spirit is not scary. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, this is a Holy Spirit-filled church, and so I know most of you are comfortable with this stuff, but I understand also we've got a lot of friends here today who uh, this kind of thing might be new to or something like that. So I, would, I want to put you at ease. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's beautiful. He's loving. He is powerful, but he's the spirit of peace. And you know who's afraid of the Holy Spirit? Satan. <laughs> Satan's afraid of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, back, back in the first century, the church received the Holy Spirit for the first time, and a thousand people got saved on the first day. Satan's afraid of the Holy Spirit, right? And those people turned around and healed the sick and cast out devils, right? They raised the dead. They turned the whole known world, the Roman Empire, upside down through the Holy Spirit, the, power, the empowering power of the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 years later, guess what? The Holy Spirit is still pouring himself out into the world today. He's filling people with himself every single day in the world today. The fact is, he's pouring himself out on this planet like never before. One study I read said that about 600, there are about 600 million charismatics in the world today. 600 million charismatics on the planet. They say by 2050, one in every seven human beings will be charismatic by 2050. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And you know what else is funny? Churches like ours, we don't even like uh, have, have an exclusive patent on the Holy Spirit anymore, right? Used to, we thought like the Holy Spirit, he moves in charismatic churches, has to be a charismatic church, you know, or, or you know, maybe Church of God or, or Assembly of God or Pentecostal. They, you know, they had some Holy Spirit too, but uh, you know, but we had the exclusive rights to him. You know, we had the patent, and it turns out the Holy Spirit doesn't recognize patents, and he's breaking out all over the place. There's charismatic Catholics out there. There's charismatic Methodists. I've got Baptist friends who are speaking in tongues, going, "What the?" And they're just like, "Well, this is cool, right?" Everybody, the Holy Spirit is pouring himself out. He, we don't have exclusive access to the Holy Spirit anymore in churches like ours. Um, um, but there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of it, I think, is due to teaching. Uh, there, there's some, some churches that, uh, honestly, there's a fear in some churches that don't want to touch the subject, either because it feels like uh, something uncontrollable. The Holy Spirit, they feel like uh, that'll, that's like a genie. Don't want to let that out of the box. Um, but also, there's a lot of churches that don't teach because of honest differences uh, when it comes to the theology, when it comes to the, to the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that, and we're, I, I'm respectful of that. Um, I'm not here to really put anybody down or, or make fun of anybody or call anybody a heretic or anything like that. Like I said, I, I have friends who uh, believe differently than I do on the Holy Spirit. So uh, I understand that. And I think we can, in fact, I think we can be loving and walk in unity, and be sweet, and walk in the gifts of the, uh, walk in the fruit of the Spirit, right? If we're spiritual people, we ought to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, um, even with people who might disagree 
with our beliefs on every little thing about the Holy Spirit. I will say this. If you're if that's the lifestyle you want to live, if you want to live in unity with people and sweetness, and you can have conversations with people about the Holy Spirit and, you know, have differences of, of opinion on how you read different things, but do it sweetly. If, if you want to be that kind of a person, stay off of the internet, okay? Um, just doing some study on this subject on the internet, that's a dangerous place to go because something about the internet, it's, it's spirit-free um, on the Holy Spirit, um, if on the internet, boy, if you believe something different on a message board or something like that, they accuse you of hating Jesus. You probably eat puppies and you're a communist. You know, I mean, it's just there. But we don't we don't believe that. We believe uh, we can we can walk in love. So, so I've had I've had these friends. They don't believe the same thing as I do about the Holy Spirit, about things like prophecy or speaking in tongues, things like that. And some of them would say that the, the move of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament, it doesn't happen like that anymore. See, one of the things I want to do in here is I want to treat that respectfully. I want, I, because cause what I hope is that if someone is here today and that's where you come from, I don't want you to, to feel uh, shamed or that I'm making fun of you. I want to have a conversation with you today. Um, and so some people feel that, well, the move of the Holy Spirit doesn't happen like it happens in the New Testament. And we would re- respectfully disagree on that. Um, one of the things that I tried to do with this even, I was talking to Dad about this the other day, is I tried to take, uh, sort of like, I tried to take a step back. What if you took a step back and you took a very plain reading of the New Testament? And, you know, you, you just kind of stripped away all of the theology that you think you know all of the tradition that you think you know, and read what the Bible says. It's an amazing thing. You read what the Bible says, the things that, that pops out at you. And so as far as I can tell, when I read the New Testament, like a, like a brand new person, you know what I see? As far as I can tell, we're, we're a New Testament church. That's what I see. I, there's a whole bunch of prophecy that hasn't come to pass yet. That means we're a New Testament church. That means like we're sandwiched somewhere between Jude and Revelation still, right? We're in the Bible you and me, we're in the Bible. We're a Bible people. So one of the biggest objections to the Holy Spirit today comes out of 1 Corinthians 13. We'll just, oh, sorry. We'll look at that. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's actually talking about uh, being the importance of love, the, the importance of being loving and having love in the life of a believer. He's making a very good point uh, that all the correct doctrine on earth means exactly diddly squat if you are not walking in love. 1 Corinthians 13, let's look at it. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. I'll stop right there. Is Paul saying that he speaks all languages, understands all mysteries, and has all knowledge? Who, ha- who understands all mysteries and has all knowledge? God, that would be someone omniscient, right? So Paul's not saying he has all knowledge and understands all mysteries. He's using hyperbole to make a point here. He says, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. This is something worth remembering for for us charismatic folks, isn't it? Right? Uh, I think it's good for us to have some humility about this. If you get into, let me tell you, if you are in a conversation with somebody, and I've been guilty of this, so I'm not pointing my finger at you. If you're in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about the Holy Spirit and you start arguing, you start getting into strife um, over the Holy Spirit, 
can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit has left that conversation. You're now on your own. You're defending the Holy Ghost like he needs defending, and you're doing it on your own. And so if ever you sense yourself getting in that kind of a thing, if you're like in strife talking about God, that doesn't match. And so what you need to do is just stop for a second and go, excuse me, Holy Spirit, I apologize. I'm sorry. Please come back and be a part of this. I need the fruit of the Spirit. Help me flow in humility and grace and wisdom and here and love. Amen? So, and he'll do that. He's, he's really good about coming right back. Because um, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. He's the spirit of unity, right? He's, he's not the spirit of debate. He's the spirit of peace and unity. So anyway, let's keep looking because y'all are loving this point, I can tell. We'll move on. Number four, uh, verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So we're not going to be proud, right? We can't be proud about this stuff. Let's skip down to verse eight. Love never fails. Okay, but get this. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, the Greek word there means different languages, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Okay. So I would just ask you, do we still have knowledge? We still have knowledge. We're still knowing things right now, right? Are we using our intellect, using our wisdom right now, We're thinking about stuff? We're not vegetables. Are we still walking around using our brains? The, the Greek word here is gnosis. It literally means to know. It means to, to know and use doctrine and wisdom, right? To know something. So this tells me that Paul is referring uh, to a hypothetical time that has not come yet. It's a time that has not come yet because we're still using our knowledge. Uh, we still speak in different languages. We still speak in tongues. In fact, I, I can prove he's talking about a future event. In verse 12, Paul finishes the thought. Look at what he says in verse 12. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, that's a future yet to come, we shall see face to face. There will indeed be a day we see face to face. There will be a day when the knowledge of this earth passes away. There's going to be a day prophecies are no longer needed. Diverse tongues are no longer spoken because we're going to see him face to face. We're going to know what he wants us to know with perfect clarity. We're going to be sitting right before him, right? No confusion. One perfect language. Amen? Look at what Jesus promises us in John chapter 14. He says this. This is right before he goes uh, to heaven. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And in verse 17, he says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Look down at verse 25. He says, all of this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Praise the Lord. Now, do you and I know everything yet? We, we don't know everything yet, so we must need, still need the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Okay. And I remind you of everything. He'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So, he, so the Holy Spirit came to bring peace also. We haven't stumbled across world peace, have we? It, it, I turned on the news the other day and it still looked pretty ugly out there. 
Okay, so we still need peace. We need that spirit of peace today. Jesus promised that he would not leave us as an orphan. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't go back on his promise just because you were born in the wrong century. Right? You're not out of luck because you were born too late. Listen, if anybody ever made you afraid of the Holy Spirit, it was not the fault of the Holy Spirit. It was probably the fault of mostly well-meaning people who turned the greatest story ever told into a ghost story. Right? The Holy Spirit, what does he bring? The Holy Spirit brings peace, not fear. He brings clarity, never confusion. And he brings order, never chaos. So where we see fear and confusion and chaos, that's not of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need him. We need not less, we need more of the Holy Spirit. If there's confusion, fear, we need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with him. So this series, we're going to take some of these ghost stories you might have been frightened by. Um, these urban legends that, that freak people out. And we're going to try to separate fact from fiction. Now, let me speak to another kind of person here today. If you're here today, and you're hearing all this about the Holy Spirit and Him flowing and going, and you're kind of like, yeah, this feels a little touchy-feely, right? It's okay. I understand you. I really do. Let me just say I get that. That was me, okay? I totally get that. I'm not naturally into, like, flash and sensationalism. Um, just my personality type. I kind of distrust emotionalism, you know? That's why God gave me such a wonderful person like my wife. She's cool with all of that, right? I mean, like, people getting emotional, she's, she's like, oh, let me get in on it, right? She's beautiful. You know, we go, we go to somebody's house. She nudges me when it's time to hug people, you know, and I... Did I, did I do it right? She tells me that was good, you know. Uh, she's, she's super sweet and, you know, just like, oh, yeah, and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I'm kind of like, okay. But so it's okay. If you're, if you're like, I don't know about, you know, it feels a little wishy-washy, a little, a little emotional. That's okay because this is not about sensationalism, right? This is not about sensationalism. This is not about, well, you know, we need more flash in our life. This is not about that. Okay, we're going to be really unscary here. Um, and some people might be really cool with all that, but, but you won't get that with me. Some of you might be hesitant here today because you just don't know about the Holy Spirit. You've never really heard. You, maybe you've heard, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, like you see somebody do that, um, or shake the smoke around going down the aisle, but you're not really sure what is going on there. What is that person? Um, and that's great because we're going to explain some of that. We're going to sit and get to know the Holy Spirit together. And some of you are sitting here, and you're feeling a little hesitant right now because you think you know all about him. And, and uh, you know, you've been taught by whatever your tradition was all about the Holy Spirit. And you're in a little bit, I have to say, in a little bit tougher spot than the people who don't know anything. Um, but that's okay, too. Because what we're going to do, I assure you, what we're going to do is look at what the Bible says. Um, we're not going to look at all the things that I assume about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at what the Bible says about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see what the Bible says about the baptism. We're going to see what the Bible says about the gifts of the Spirit. And if you don't agree with me, can I just say this? If you don't agree with me at the end of the day, I still love you. It's okay. 
right? You don't have to slap me or leave or anything like that. We can walk in unity. I always say, uh, we don't have to agree on everything to walk in unity, right? In fact, the Holy Spirit is the, the spirit of unity. He's the one that enables us to walk in unity when we don't agree, right? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit, because then we can be humble and be like, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know, and still walk in love, because we have Jesus as our core. Jesus is our, we have the love of Christ between us, and so we don't have to agree on every little thing, so that's okay. But I'm going to try to convince you, because I'm right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, but I am. Um, now some of you today, it'll be your first glimpse of someone you've never been formally introduced to, and I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. So my prayer is that you're going to just fall to grow in love with him. Um, grow, grow to fall in love with him. That's, the way, that's what I said. A uh, couple of promises I'll, I'll make to you. I know we're taking a long time, kind of in an intro to the intro here. <clears throat> Here's a couple of promises I'll make to you and to anybody, your friends or family that you bring to this. Number one, we will be respectful towards others who have different beliefs. I'm going to be respectful. There's a lot of smart people who believe differently than I do. I found that out, right? There's a lot of smart people out there with like PhDs and pastors and people smarter than me who, who believe differently. And, you know, I realize the Holy Spirit is mysterious. He's bigger than my brain can stuff into a box. And so, you know, what I say, I'm going to say out of humility and passion, but uh, not out of an assumption of omniscience or anything like that. The second thing that I, uh, I guarantee you is we're not going to lay aside our brain. Here's what I mean. This is, I, th- I personally think this is one of the big mistakes some Christians make. They think in order to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have to lose your mind. <laughs> right? I don't believe that. So, uh, no, it may be true, but I don't believe that. I don't believe you have to lose your mind. I can't find that in Scripture. I don't see anybody who lost their mind when the Holy Spirit came. Um, I find them getting more empowered in the Holy Spirit. I find them getting bolder, right? Becoming like more the person God created them to be, you know? I don't see anybody like going, you know, going crazy and they can't like control themselves and they're just like, um, anyone, nobody acting like a fool. I can't see the, that the God of precision, the God of the universe who created all these amazing, these incredible spiritual laws within that we see in scripture. That God, I can't see that God being the God who says this only works if you surrender to pure emotionalism or something like that. that that's, I don't see that that is how God works. So. At the same time, number three, we will not put God in a box. So at the same time, we are also going to accept that there are some things in our spiritual lives that cannot be explained logically and systematically, okay? And that's just the, the hard truth I had to come, come across years ago. All right, I want to understand it all. I want to like be able to spell it all and create a graph and colored chart and, you know, boy, the Holy Spirit won't stay inside the borders of my charts and graphs. He just won't. You know, as much as I want it, just stay in there. He won't. So we have to accept that. We have to understand that God is God and we are not. Is everybody okay with that? Can we let God be God? Um, And so what doesn't make sense to us in the beginning, it might just be because it's beyond our, our limited information. Limited information. So something might seem odd to you. But I invite you to let God be God. Um, and realize there might be some supernatural logic and order that we've never considered before if we, if we just kind of open our heart. We've never completely, we're never going to completely figure God out. We won't put him in a box. What we see in the Holy Spirit, in the New Testament even, as the New Testament goes on, the Holy Spirit moves in different ways. You know, he, he continues to, to move and adapt and change, and he moves in the, in, you know, in the churches of 
the Philippians differently than he moves in the churches of the Corinthians. And, and it's really an interesting thing. So there's no reason to expect um, that he is now locked in uh, by some kind of time barrier. Uh, he can't change anymore. He can't do new things. Um, so we're not going to put God in a box. The Holy Spirit, he bobs and weaves, right? I mean, in that kind of the picture you have, he's, he speaks in mysteries. I mean, and here's what's interesting. Theologians have pointed out for, for thousands of years how the Holy Spirit operates in a lot of ways that we might even think of as the feminine aspects of God. Now, don't freak out. Hear me out here. Whenever the Hebrew writers talk about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, when they, write, when they talk about Him, they're writing in Hebrew, right? Uh, the Old Testament's in Hebrew, New Testament's in Greek. So the, the Hebrew writers, when they're writing, they have different genders in, the, in their grammar. And, and one of the gender cases that they have that they use most often when describing the Holy Spirit is the feminine case. It's an interesting thing. They don't use it when they're talking about the Father, but they use this feminine case when they're talking about the Spirit of God. Um, now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is female. I'm not saying he's a goddess or something like that. So don't freak out. Uh, let me ask you this. Who came first, God or human beings? God came first. So God is, right? And then long time later came human beings. So God is. He is. He is total and complete, Right? long before there's any human being, long before there's such a thing as a male and a female. So God, uh, he comes first. Everybody in this room came out of the imagination of God who was total and complete. Genesis 1.27, this is back in the creation. God creates human beings, it says, in his own image. He says, it says, in his image, he created them, male and female, Right? So ladies, this is very empowering. You know, religion wants to kind of keep you down. But, but God created us male and female. Females are created in the image of God as well as males. So what that means is that there are attributes that we humans would, uh, d- uh, would ascribe as being more feminine that were in God long before any of us were on the earth. There were these attributes. And we see these scriptures of the way he takes care of his people, like a hen takes care of her eggs. I mean, there's, there's, there's these things. There was, long before there was such a thing as male and female. In fact, remember the angels, the scriptures tell us that they were created long before us, and they have no gender that we would recognize. Um, and so this is why scholars and, and biblical writers have long for thousands of years noticed that there are ways that God operates that are distinctly male, kind of in their personality and form and function. And there are ways that he moves that are more female in feel and character. So I, and I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if this is why the Holy Spirit so often makes dudes uncomfortable, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like I said, you know, it's like the differences between me and my wife. If you just took a sample of people, more often dudes are more uncomfortable uh, than, than the ladies. Women are sometimes more at home, I think, with the personality. The Holy Spirit, when you like look at the way he, the things he does, he's not like a type A linebacker, you know, personality warrior kind of guy. He's not your frat brother, right? That's not the Holy Spirit. He's like wind. Look at the way scripture describes him. He's like wind. He's like water. He's like fire, right? He's like a dove, right? He's beauty and humility at the same time. What? 
He's extravagant grace. And yet he directs all the attention from himself back to Jesus. Does that sound more masculine or feminine to you? Right? It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit's called the comforter. When you were a kid and you scraped your knee, did you run to your mom or your dad? I know who my kids run to. Not Mr. Robot. (laughs) Why is wisdom in the Proverbs eight different times described as a she? And the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom. So, all of this is to say, in order to demystify and de-scarify the Holy Spirit, we, we also have to acknowledge that we can't fully get rid of mystery, and we got to be okay with that. we got to be okay with some mystery. Uh, and instead of arguing and let it you know, be a source of division, we just want to celebrate them together. Amen? We're going to celebrate and embrace the Holy Spirit together. I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians 3, 17. It says, the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there are things about the Holy Spirit that leave me amazed, that leave me baffled. But I've also learned to enjoy that and enjoy and experience things that I can't explain, that I can't understand at the time. And at the end of the day, what God responds to is our hearts, even more than our theology. He responds to our hearts. Now, don't get me wrong. Theology is important. I believe theology is very, very important right? Your doctrine is important. I read systematic theologies for fun, like at home. I know that's nerdy, but so I, I, I like theology and theology is important. A the, your theology, your doctrine, that affects the way you think about God. It affects the way we worship God and how we allow God to flow in our life. But ultimately, what I'm saying is that God is not as concerned about our position on some kind of intellectual argument as he is the position of our hearts, God's not looking for theologians. He's looking for worshipers, right? This is what jumps out of the scriptures when you read it. He is looking for worshipers. So that's why in the coming weeks, yeah, we're going to talk about the gifts. We're going to talk about the baptism and tongues and things like that. But first, we're going to take these first two weeks and just talk about the Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing. And that was a conscious choice, and I feel like we were led by the Holy Spirit. He's like, I want you to talk about me. Yes, sir. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit himself, who he is, Next week, we'll talk about more about what he does. The second thing today I want to stress, the Holy Spirit, we, we said, is not scary. The next thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit is that he isn't what the church has portrayed him like for the past thousand years. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He's not the awkward third wheel of the Godhead, right? Right? <laughs> That's kind of how he's been in the church. He's absolutely essential. He is the the person of the Godhead who is with us right now in this room, is the Holy Spirit, right? He's not optional. He's not window dressing. He's not about the goosebumps. He's not about the emotional sensationalism. He's not optional. The more I studied the book of Acts, the clear, the picture that jumps off the pages is how much the early church looked to the Holy Spirit, depended on the Holy Spirit. He was essential to them. They interacted with him, right? He was such a vital part of their lives. And things that, that, were, that we would think of as strange or rare, like back then, that was, it was like every day. They, they depended on it. It was absolutely common and it was appreciated in the church. 
I heard John Bevere make this statement. He said, there's virtually no Christianity without the Holy Spirit. If you remove the Holy Spirit from Christianity, what you're left with is this dry, monotonous, mundane religion without the Holy Spirit. That's what you get, right? And, and the church today without the Holy Spirit quickly morphs into this social club or this very irre- irrelevant religious antiquity, which is unfortunately what we see in some places, right? And so this is the heart behind this series. We, we the church, we ignore the Holy Spirit to our detriment, and it's, and it's at our loss if we do that. There are dimensions of love and joy and power that we'll never experience without the Holy Spirit because they're only possible with His help. It's what He does, right? And so a lot of the church today is dry and lifeless because it has shut the doors on the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham, he had this to say. I thought this was interesting about the church. He said, if you removed the Holy Spirit from the early church, 95% of its activities would cease to exist. But if you remove the Holy Spirit away from the modern church, 95% of its activities would continue as if nothing happened. That was one of his grumpier moments. (laughs) But he was being honest. He was being honest. Praise God, that's not going to be us. It's not going to be Generations Church. Amen? Amen. We want this church to be a church that honors the Father, honors the Son, honors the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, we're not just here to mention Him when we baptize you in water, when we dedicate your children, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We're, we're not, it's not what it's about. What we're after is a relationship. We want a relationship with the Holy Spirit, just like we want a relationship with the Father and the Son. We want a relationship with Him. And so a series like this is more than just another group of sermons to fill some time. It's a public declaration that here the Holy Spirit is honored. We are laying down the welcome mat, right, for the Holy Spirit. He is honored. He is welcome in this place. Amen. He's beautiful. He's mysterious. He's powerful. He's enigmatic, the Holy Spirit. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. That's in, uh, that'll be about... Four, three, three or four weeks from now, we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But I think it's important today not to lose sight of the fact that most importantly, the Holy Spirit is the gift. He is the gift. The idea that the Holy Spirit not only brings us gifts, but He is the gift. It's mentioned about half a dozen times in the New Testament. In Acts 2.38 says, then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice here he's not saying the gifts of the gifts from the Spirit, right? The Greek word here, it equates gift with the Holy Ghost. It's the gift that equals, that is the Holy Ghost. So we've seen he's not scary. We don't have to be afraid of him. We've seen he's essential. And the third thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit today is that he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not smoke. He's not the force from Star Wars. He's a person. Now, he's represented by a whole lot of different metaphors and images, like we talked about before. The Bible compares him to wind, to water, to fire, to the dove, an earthquake. But he is a person. And the mistake a lot of people make... When you mention the Holy Spirit, they immediately go to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit instead of understanding Him as a person of the Godhead. 
Here's the problem. Here's the danger. If you don't see him as a person, you'll never have a personal relationship with him. You've got to see him as a person, right? If he's not a person, why would you ever talk to him? Why would you ever listen to him? You don't have a personal relationship with the force, right? Nobody in Star Wars ever said, hey, I'm going to go hang out and talk to the force for a while. Catch y'all later, right? Nobody's, you talk and you can commune with the Holy Spirit. I think one of our problems is uh, we can visualize Jesus, right? Everybody think about Jesus. You can think about him, right? You know what he's wearing. He's got the white robe with the blue sash, right? <laughs> Flowy hair. It's probably not what he looked like, but yeah. We can, we can visualize Jesus. We can even visualize the Father, even though all of our visualizations are wrong. We can visualize him, you know, hello, you know. He's on the, that's a throne. That could have looked weird, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you can visualize, but the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have a body. So he's like fog, right? In our imagination, he's like smoke. God, and, and, and the names, Jesus has a name. His name is Jesus, right? And even God in the Old Testament, what they call him? Jehovah, right? But the Spirit is the unnamed one. I think it would have been better if God had like called him Larry or something, just as we could wrap our minds you know, Jehovah, Jesus, and Larry. Yeah. But he didn't. He, he's the unnamed member of the Godhead. So we have to make no mistake, he's real. He's personal because he's a person. In Romans eight twenty seven, it says he has a mind of his own. These are things that help us realize he is a person. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven, he has a will. Romans 15.30 and Galatians 5.22 says he has emotions like love and joy. Do you know the Holy Spirit has joy, like gets excited? He gets happy? He, he comforts us in Acts 9.31. He speaks in Hebrews 3.7 and 1 Timothy 4.1. He teaches in 1 Corinthians 2.13. He can be grieved and feel sorrow in Ephesians 4. He can be insulted Hebrews 10, 29 tells us. Acts 5 says that he can be lied to, right? Even though you can't fool him, but you can lie to him. These things describe a person, not an it, don't they? These are descriptions of a person. He has a mind, a will, and emotions. Now, in the, in the few minutes that we have left, I want to focus on just one of these aspects of the Holy Spirit uh, that reveal his incredible personality. And that is that the Holy Spirit grieves I want to talk about this for a second. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is very interesting because nowhere in Scripture does it ever, do you ever find the words, grieve not the Father? It never says, do not grieve the Son. It says, do not grieve the Holy Ghost. Right? There's even a place in Scripture where the Father and the Son say, you can say anything you want about the Son, but don't talk bad about the Holy Spirit. It's like bad news, right? It's almost like they act husbandly towards the Holy Spirit. God the Father said to the children of Israel in the wilderness, he said, you have grieved my Holy Spirit in Isaiah 63. Notice he didn't say, you've grieved me. He says, you've grieved my Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word for grieve, it means a deep sorrow a pain, a deep sorrow. It's like a stress. It comes from the, the word uh, lupe, which means pain. 
And it's a pain that can only be experienced by two people who deeply love each other. It's that kind of pain. So the Holy Spirit has feelings. Now, one of the best ways to to understand the meaning of a passage is to look at the context of a passage. And so he tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, so we should figure out what what is it that we shouldn't be doing. So let's look over in Ephesians 4 and verse 25, back up a little bit. Paul explains what causes such things, uh, what causes grief. Lying, unrighteous anger, stealing, uh, not giving, corrupt language, bitterness, wrath, evil speaking, unforgiveness. In other words, what causes grieving of the Holy Spirit is sin. Sin. Sin causes the Holy Spirit to grieve. It's not because he's legalistic or he doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because the Holy Spirit grieves when we sin because the Holy Spirit loves you. Because he loves you so much, right? He knows that when you walk in sin, it's going to hurt you. How many of you parents out there, you know, if if your kids are doing something that's going to hurt them, it grieves you. It hurts you. Or if they're walking in sin, if they're walking in something you know they shouldn't be, it, it hurts you. You feel the ache inside You'd be sad, right? That's how it is. Grief. So grief is is another way of looking at it. It is the deep sadness that we feel when we lose intimacy with someone. So this is why we feel grief if someone close to us passes away, right? Someone dies, we feel grief. Even if we know in our heart we're going to see them someday in heaven, we still feel grief because we have lost the capacity to feel intimacy with them right now, right? So, so if you lose somebody that you love, and I come up to you and I'm like, why are you sad? We're going to see him in heaven someday. You'd want to punch me in the neck, right? <laughs> because we still grieve because we've lost intimacy with them. I know, praise God, I'm going to see my grandfather someday, you know, my grandmother. I'm so excited about that. But in the meantime, I've lost the possibility of experiencing that intimacy with them because they're in heaven. They're not floating around my room talking to me. If they were, I need to call a priest or something, right? You know, if, if anybody's talking to you from the dead, call the elders of the church. Um, or maybe you've gone through a divorce. You know this feeling. If you've gone through a divorce, you know that feeling, that, ex- that, that, that experience It may be even somebody you can't stand anymore, right? But the feeling is almost like someone died. Something died. You're grieving the intimacy that is lost. So, as you know, that is how the Holy Spirit feels. That's how the Holy Spirit feels when believers sin. He grieves. I want to give you some good news today to finish up. Some good news is that if you're walking in sin, the Holy Spirit wants to set you free because he loves you. He desires to be close with you. He desires that intimacy with you. When we humble ourselves and deal with the sin in our life, we can walk in intimacy with God. We can walk in that intimacy. Each of us has sinned, every single person in here. We've all sinned. But because of God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because he's the one that helps us, he's the one that draws us back to God, we can walk in righteousness again. So if you've grieved the Holy Spirit, what do you need to do? You need to repent. You just need to repent. He doesn't hold a grudge. 
right? We grieve the Holy Spirit also when we tune out His conviction, because the Holy Spirit convicts us. We'll talk some more about this next week. But the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we tune Him out when we ignore that still, small voice of God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Is there an area in your life that is causing you to lose intimacy with the Holy Spirit? If you have that area in your life, you just need to confess it to him. He desires to be close to you. If you'll humble yourself right now and allow the Holy Spirit to help you turn from that sin, because above all, above all, the Holy Spirit is personal. He's a person which makes him personal. I want to close today by sharing something personal about me. Um, The Holy Spirit has been a a constant companion in my life from the day I accepted Jesus, long ago. From the day I accepted Jesus as my Savior, He's been there from the moment I was saved. And then one day after that, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I was filled with with the Spirit, and I I experienced what that was. And since then, I can say that the Holy Spirit has truly been my closest friend, my closest companion, even when I was neglectful of Him. He was always there. There was a time in my life during my college years, I was pretty far from God. And I, I had a lot of questions I lot, I've probably talked about this before, but I've had a lot of questions, had a lot of anger. I even had doubts about God and organized religion and all that kind of stuff. And here's the really crazy thing. Now, I can't explain all this theologically. This is that part where it's a mystery. You have to take my word for it. No matter how upset I was during those years with Father God, I never felt far from the Holy Spirit. I know God is one. There's not like three gods. It's a, it's a trinity. All I can say is that the Holy Spirit was always there. He was always wooing me. He was always comforting me. He was always convicting me of sin. Even when I wished he would stop. <laughs> he, 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 he was always there. He never stopped. I'd be all like, I don't want anything to do with the church and all, oh, you know, God, you're mean. How do you let all this pain happen in the world and angry and all that kind of stuff? The weird thing is I'd still sit in my room and speak in tongues. I'd be driving on the road and speak in tongues. I mean, I had to look weird to people like sitting over there. There's this long-haired guy over here smoking cigarettes, and he's like speaking in tongues in the corner at the coffee shop. I don't know what's going on there. But the Holy Spirit never abandoned me. That's all I could say. That's, that's my testimony, is he never left me. Even when I was upset with God, when I didn't understand God, didn't want anything to do with God, for some reason, that was such an entrenched part of my life. I hung on to that, and he hung on to me. Even when I'm sure I was grieving him, and I know I was, I was grieving him. And one day, I heard in my guts, just the clearest I've ever heard him, And the clearest I can honestly say I've ever heard him since, I heard him say, I know you have all these issues. I know you got all these problems with me and this religious stuff. Can we just set that aside and forget about that for now? Kind of have a relationship. That's all I heard. And it broke me. Because I, I realized then that he was after 
a relationship with me. He was not after me being good, ultimately, that would come. He was not after me having all my theology just right yet, understanding anything. What he wanted was a relationship with me. And all I can say is, I owe him my life. I owe the Holy Spirit everything because he never gave up on me. Amen? Amen? Amen. And guess who was doing the talking? The Holy Spirit. Because that's what he does. He's the one who's talking to you. When you feel that stuff in here, that's him. That's what he does. That's who he is. That's who he, that's who he is. That's what he does. So, praise God. Did you learn something today? If we're going to grow, if we're going to grow in our walk with God, we've got to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And what he is... Uh, who he is, what he does, what he's like, and, and understand that his presence is never confusing, okay? Nor is his presence disturbing. The Holy Spirit is essential. He's not window dressing. And he's a person, and he's personal. He's personal in our life, and he wants the best for you. And, and I'll make you this promise, and it's something we've said before. The better you get to know him, the more you will trust him. And that is what I've experienced in my life. The better I get to know him, the more I will trust him. The more I will trust him with my questions, my, the answers he gives, right? The more I will trust him in his leading when he says to step out there and do something uncomfortable, the more I'll trust him. Because I, I'm getting to know him. I'm still getting to know him, right? He's, he's a, a beautiful mystery. Uh, but the, the better you get to know him, the more you'll trust him. Amen. Hallelujah.